I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rare Extra. The healthcare technology company Citizen, which helps patients take control of their medical records to access better treatment options and participate in research and clinical trials, this month announced a collaboration with RareX. Patients who use the RareX federated data sharing platform will be able to seamlessly take advantage of Citizen's technology to collect and store their medical records. Citizen collects and digitizes health records and formats them so they can be shared at the patient's discretion. We spoke to Nasha Fitter, Director of Rare Neurological Diseases for Citizen, and Vanessa Vogel-Farley, R&D Strategy Lead for RareX, about the collaboration, how the two organizations are working together, and why empowering patients with the means to control and share their health data can be transformational to the rare disease landscape. Nasha, Vanessa, thanks so much for joining us. Great to be here. Great to be here. Thank you. We're going to talk about Citizen and its healthcare technology platform, RareX, and how the two organizations will be working together. Before we do that, though, you're both known for your work as patient advocates in the area of rare neurological disease. I'd like to start by asking each of you how, as advocates, you came to view the challenges and impediments to advancing research and improving care with regards to collecting and sharing data. Vanessa, perhaps you can begin. Sure. Um, I have about a couple decades of experience in um, collecting data in rare rare disorders. And I think that not actually a challenge or impediment, I think that we, as we're looking forward to the future of data sharing and data collection and data federation, I think really leaning on the technology that's come forward in the past five, you know, two to five years, um, things that weren't available back when rare diseases were first being um, being found, and also the future of all of the things in data really does need to lean into the technology that has really been emerging over the last couple of years. So I think that that's really the big thing. Additionally, I think that with, with respect to data, there's a lot of things around governance and compliance that we need to take into account when it comes to collecting data to make sure it's used in an effective way and has a life past the original intended use, especially in rare disease. Nasha, how about you? What's your experience been? Well, I've really approached this from, you know, first and foremost, being a mother of a child with a rare neurological disorder, how I came into the space and first and foremost, really trying to find answers myself to her disease and why it was happening. What are the best medications to use? And then as I continued on to start a research foundation and really starting the process of de-risking our disease um, for, you know, so biotech companies would be interested to invest in it, really realizing that we had to have a natural history study, we had to have patient reported outcomes, and going through that process and really, you know, seeing that the current way of doing it is, doesn't work for rare diseases, it's archaic, it's very slow, it's very expensive. So as Vanessa mentioned, it's the advent of these new technologies and platforms that are allowing us to even rethink what can we do? How can we make this process better? There's a, a 
fundamental shared belief between these two organizations that patients should control their own data. Not sure for people not familiar with Citizen, what is it and, and how does it work? So Citizen is a complete patient-centric platform where patients come, they consent, and we go and collect using a patient's HIPAA right of access all of their medical records. And this is really important because when we go to our patient portals, unfortunately for those of us that have you know, severe conditions or caregivers of patients with severe conditions, the information we really need are not in those patient portals. So information in pathology reports, neurology reports, genetic reports. So first and foremost, we just collect all of that medical information, MRI images, and have it on one platform so patients can use it, can see their own records, can share for second opinions. And then we take it one step further, where if patients consent, we then abstract key relevant information from these records normalize it across a cohort, and then are able to share that data with researchers, whether they're academic researchers, whether they're biotech researchers, as well as connect patients to any clinical trials they may pre-qualify for. So it's really a platform to help, you know, sick care, sick patients control their own destinies and use their research to further treatments for their own disorders. Like a, a lot of things in the rare disease world, this grew out of a, a patient need. The the former director of health records for Apple founded Citizen. What was the experience that led him to do this? So that's such a great question. And, and that is what happens in this space, right? You tragedy strikes and you use it to create something that helps others. Um, for Anil, Anil Sethi, the founder of Citizen, his youngest sister, Tanya, passed away really unexpectedly from metastatic breast cancer. And in the five months he spent trying to save her life, he realized just what a disaster medical records were in, how difficult it was for him to even access her data, then use that data to find clinical trials to figure out what to do. Um, time ran out, and he basically made a promise that nobody else was going to go through what he did. And that was the, the birth of Citizen. It seems virtually everything we do today creates a trail of data within the world of healthcare. It exists in many forms and in many places. Vanessa, how well are we able to take that data and connect it and get it to speak in a common language where researchers and physicians can extract actionable information from it? Well, right now, it's not that easy. Um, there is no common language. That's the that's the unfortunate part of this. And the, we do create a trail of data wherever we go, especially in the rare disease world, where patients are not even just where they're finding they get medical care, where they're seeing multi multiple specialists. Same thing. When you don't have a child with a rare disorder, you maybe see one pediatrician and then maybe an ER visit every once in a while. In the world of rare disease, you're opened up to anywhere between four to five to seventeen different specialties in the space, in the space, and they're not all at the same place. And that data connection is really something that we need to make sure we're able to do through technology again. And then the other piece is that in these rare spaces, there's a lot of research data being collected. You may have heard of a natural history studies or, you know, care as usual studies, or even studies about the disease characteristics or 
clinical trials. Right now, there's really not a great way to make sure that the, the patient who's giving that data or, um, or donating that data is able to say, I want all of that to kind of connect, to create a really great profile for the, um, the patient. And so what we're doing is really trying to make sure that we're able to, through consent and through governance, to make sure at least if the patient's there, they can say, I want my data to be connected. And on the tech side and on the, the, um, the platform side, being able to have that data create some common languages. And um, what we'll talk about in a little bit is how Citizen is really helping to do that from the, the um, uh, electronic health record side. And on the RAREX side, making sure that the data we're collecting from the research side has that structure where we can have that common language and have that connection happening with all of the data. Well, now, Nasha, let, let's talk about that. You know, one of the challenges with electronic health records is that they can be unstructured. Mm-hmm. What does Citizen do to take that and put it into a usable form for researchers. Yeah, absolutely. And the the data we most need is in the unstructured, um, you know, the notes, et cetera. So Citizen really spent the first, I'd say about 24 months just investing in machine learning and a process of how do you look at unstructured medical records and how do you normalize them? So something really simple, even like heart attack, the term heart attack, there's 40 ways that you could say heart attack, that different doctors across just the country will say the word heart attack let alone the world. So a huge job we do at Citizen is just normalize and create synonyms for all of these terms. And then we use a variety of codes. So for for clinical data, we use SNOMED, which is a global terminology used around the world. And it's a great way to define different elements. Um, We use LOINC for measurements, for example, RxNorm for medication. So a huge part of our job is, like you said, just creating structure out of paragraphs taking Word and turning it into Excel. Vanessa, what's RareX doing from that perspective in terms of standardization and, and working with data so it's structured in a way that researchers could make the most use of it? So in the same way, we have the benefit of being able to create that structure before the data is there, right? So we're asking data, we're asking questions from the ground up. We're not coming, we're not taking an unstructured data set and making it structured. So all the, all the questions that come onto the platform and all of the even the answers, we're first making sure that they have some basis in, in data standards and, and, and regulatory um, information, meaning those the SNOMED codes and those link codes, HPO codes, all of these acronyms to say there's a way, there's a structure and there's a there's a map behind that data as to what it means and what the usability of it is. So as RareX is growing, we're we're adding in that we're we're providing that structure from day one. Right now, when um, rare disease patients collect data, they collect data what they, they collect the data they, they think they need to know about their their disorder. But at the end of the day, as patients go through their their diagnostic odyssey and their disease journey, that information might change over time. The symptoms might different symptoms might onset, different secondary um, diagnoses might occur. And we want to be able to make sure that we're collecting about all of those things rather than just what we think in that space. So we're taking the the structure of the of the kind of the human <laughs> um, and making sure that we're backing it up into data where it's able to be read in a way that has that structure in the background. And then sometimes in rare, we know it's rare. There are there are not standards in rare a lot of the places and where we need to, to move into this place where we need to create a standard or try out some new standards, we're making sure to do that very carefully and always seeing them back in those those coded and those mapped areas where we can really anchor that um, that data. What Vanessa is saying is so accurate. When we started the fa- foundation, the Fox G1 Research Foundation for my daughter's disorder, 
you know, we started figuring out how do we collect data and we created a survey. We asked so many groups, what questions should we ask? And there wasn't one place to go to. So we ended up creating a survey. And then lo and behold, a couple couple years later, we realized, oh gosh, we should have asked a completely different type of survey. We should have had it made sure it was validated. I mean, there's so many things you don't know as a rare disease group. So I just think the RareX platform taking that off the plate of these groups that have so much to do and and really anchoring them is amazingly critical. And Fakshi One's experience is not not rare. <laughs> it's unfortunately in the yeah. rare space that's the usual the, usually the case that you it's the same thing. These are parents who are setting up you know research programs. They're they're forced to get their PhD in research without ever having to get, going going to biostats class. And so with that that happens over and over again where you collect data for many many years and you don't realize the utility or non utility by the time that you're there. So RareX is hoping to take that that burden and make sure that we're bringing forward something. Um, that does have that utility from day one, and it can always be built uh, built upon. We hear a lot about terms like regulatory grade and research ready. Mm-hmm. Do these terms have clear definitions or standards that they reflect? Is there common agreement on their meaning? I think that there's there's not a full shared agreement on what these things made. Regulatory grade data, when you hear it in, in the in the rare disease space, essentially that means it's it's gonna be able to be used th- towards a therapeutic or um, an interventionary trial, meaning the regulators are FDA. When you, when you think about it in the rare space, that's usually the ultimate regulator that you're talking about. You're talking about clinical trials, you're talking about that, that can be used either towards the creation of a protocol for a clinical trial or the evaluation of an effectiveness of a treatment. So that's kind of where you, that's where we can all kind of level level set on regulatory grade data. It's data that's fit for purpose. It's meant to be used towards that, to evaluate change over time. Um, or to give you a, a, an example, uh, a description of a disease state that can possibly change over time or in relation to a treatment. Research ready is another one that that one can get, it depends what researcher you're talking to, talking to when it comes to research ready. You could be talking to a neuroscience researcher and you're asking for research ready data in the EEG space. And for one researcher, it might be research ready if it's an overnight EEG. For another one, it might be a five minute EEG. So it really depends upon the research that you're, you're, um, you're going in. For the platform-based approach, what we what we really want to, when we refer to regulatory grade or research ready, we are always we are, we're always focusing on the fact that it is, one, as complete as it possibly can be, meaning that have they answered all the data, all the questions that they possibly can in a, in a complete manner, and also, is it clean? Meaning, are there, are there overt mistakes that we can clean up right away? And then, two, and then three, is it accessible? So all of those things along the way, making sure that it is as close to what you would consider regulatory grade or research ready, meaning that it's in a place that can be found, it's as complete as possible and it's clean as possible so that when it goes out to the researchers or regulators or scientists or clinicians or citizen scientists, it's able to be used right away. Um, so that's kind of the way that we can level set around there. There is no common agreement when you, depending upon who you talk to with those things, but in general, you can get the idea of what those terms are usually used, used in. And, and Nasha, in the case of citizen, What's the business model and and who's the customer? Yeah, so in Citizen, we don't charge patients that come to the platform. 
And our business model is really around pharmaceutical companies licensing the data that patients consent. We have a very high consent rate. It goes from 85% to 99%, depending on the disease area, because the majority of our patients are coming onto the platform because they want their data to be used to find treatments. We have a full cycle process. We want the patient to be included. Um, usually what happens is data gets walked out you know, the back door and there's an agreement between an academic institution and a pharma company. In our model, we license data. We never sell the data. So the same data can be licensed to 10 different pharma companies. You don't have to have 10 different studies. And we give 10% back to the advocacy group that we're working with. And when we mainly work with advocacy groups um, to recruit patients to the platform. And what control do patients have over their data and how it's used? And what's the incentive for them to make use of the citizen service? So they have 100% control of their data. Number one, their raw records, so their raw medical records and their images are completely owned by the patient. They can share them, download them, get off the platform, whatever they want to do. If and only if they consent, do we then share their data with researchers, be them academic or biopharma. So again, it's completely up to the patient how they direct their data to be used. And they get a ton of value from the platform from the second they join, because, you know, most patients don't realize that um, institutions, so whether they're small healthcare, large healthcare, academic centers, only have to hold your medical records between seven to 10 years. Sometimes it's even five years, depending on the state. So first and foremost, you have to collect your medical records, especially if you are sick or you're taking care of a a loved one who has a, a disease or disorder. So we collect all of that. We scan it and we upload it and it's there for the patient, including rich MRI records. So you don't have to take your CDs and share them when you want a second opinion. Everything is on the citizen site. That's the first and foremost thing. And the second is this data extraction, which we also give back to the patients. So I can tell you, you know, my daughter has been in different types of natural history studies, in-person ones, government NIH funded ones. We have never had access to any of that data, even our own daughters. Whereas on the citizen platform, we give that extracted data right back to the patient. So they have all of all everything we share with researchers, we share back with the patient. The patient is fully included. We treat the patient in the same way. So there's a ton of value um, they see right away. And then, you know, down the line, we hope they're going to see value as more companies use their data to find treatments and cures. This is still early days for Citizen. Are there any examples of how it has engaged with the rare disease community and how that community might be leveraging its platform? Oh, absolutely. Um, So we can take one of my very favorite advocacy groups, Syngap Research Fund. They were the first neurological group to come on to Citizen. They were really our beta guinea pig. And, you know, within a six-month period, we are going to have a rich natural history study cohort for 100 Syngap patients. I think that is the fastest natural history study ever, you know, happened in human history. And the number of years is going to average close to 14 years of data that we will have on patients. So it's super rich, rich data. And this group is already leveraging it with biopharmaceutical companies interested in Syngap because they know that there's this rich natural history data, as well as academic institutions utilizing the data um, for published research. Vanessa, Rurex has just entered into a collaboration with Citizen. What's the purpose of this collaboration and 
how will the two organizations work together? Well, we're just really, really excited to partner with Citizen um, because the promise of electronic health records is is the limit, essentially. We have all the, like I said, the, the, the data that's buried in EHR in unstructured data is really, is going to be the secret sauce or the key to these um, rare diseases because what we what we really want to do is the RareX platform is patient reported data. You you get a survey, you get a questionnaire, and you're answering data across time, longitudinally, being able to give some some really good st stable data over time about your your child, yourself, and your rare disease, and then being able to back it up with those clinical records, those that information that's kind of that is in that EHR, whether it be lab values or pay or. Um, physician's notes, or even that MRI piece that um, Nasha was talking about, especially in the neurological area, that's just a wealth of information. And being able to combine those two things is really going to give, I spoke before about that that holistic view of the patient is really what we need in, in the rare space. Um, when we're talking to FDA, when we're talking about these cre creation of therapeutics, oftentimes, even though there's a primary outcome, like say it's seizure reduction, there's always this talk on the backside about the quality of life. The how is it changing the patient's life? How is it changing the family's life as well? Because it might be a secondary outcome, but I think all of this kind of together to take that holistic patient view, we need the EHR. We need that structured data that wouldn't be possible without um, partners like Citizen, and as well as that wealth of information that that patient is able to give. Um, we have a wonderful colleague named Megan O'Boyle who always says, she's like, all, all of my daughter's data is patient reported because, or parent reported because I'm just tell my daughter can't tell her tell the physician what she's feeling like. I, it's always me. They're asking me, and they're writing it down versus me writing it down. So I think it's the it's the best case scenario. It's the best kind of combination of information that we can get about a patient, especially in the rare disease area, where we are able to ha handle that patient reported data as well as that bringing in that robust, very, very. Um, deep clinical data that exists in their EHR, which until recently, again, until technology came about to be able to pull that information out in a meaningful way, we wouldn't have been able to do it until the last in until this year or like in the last couple of years. So we're the purpose of that collaboration is to really mold those meld those things together and really provide that patient that full patient view and uh, the research manner so that they can bring that data forward to you know, researchers, companies, biopharma, whatever it is, wherever they want their data to go, we, we really are facilitating that. Nasha, how do you see this collaboration helping rare disease organizations accelerate the development of new therapies? Yes, definitely. And I am, like Vanessa, so excited about this collaboration because as she said, it is a holistic patient view. We have to have patient reported outcomes. Everything is not in the medical record and even things in the record need to be verified by patients. It is this combination that is going to give that whole patient view without patients having to travel to an academic center for an in-person study. That is how you use technology to really disrupt the way things are currently done. and. You know, the thing with these ultra rare diseases is that you could have, I mean, Fox G1, we have less than 800 patients, right? There's groups that we speak to that have 20 patients and no one is willing to help them and understand their disease. And all of this becomes critically important. So organizations like RareX that are focusing on all rare diseases, including the long tail, as we call it, of rare diseases, small groups, is amazing. And it's the first time this is really happening. And the second thing that we're really excited, both of us, is that we want to establish a new way for partnerships to happen. You know, I, I think the old way was, look, one institution, one platform owns everything. And that's just 
it's just archaic. Now, different platforms are going to have expertise in different areas. And the key is, how do you connect data across these different platforms to build a longitudinal patient map? And I think, you know, we hope that this is going to be the first of many collaborations and that we really excite the industry that this is possible because all, all patients on RareX will have a unique identifier tied to their stories on Citizen, to their medical records on Citizen. And, and it, it seems simple, but it's just it hasn't been done. The sort of breaking of a silo where we're not competing with each other. We realize that, hey, we both have strengths in different ways and we may have similar partners down the line. And it doesn't matter. The goal is here that we can connect. And for patients and you know what we're trying to do generally, this is the right way forward. And just as an, an, an addition to that, um, Nasha mentioned that this bringing the it's essentially using this to bring research to the patient. I think that she the the point of saying that the rare disease patients don't all make it to the centers of excellence where usually the data had been collected and stored in historically rare disease knows no boundaries. The rare disease knows no um, borders. Rare disease knows no states, et cetera. And often, and also doesn't know SES, it doesn't know education levels. We need to be able to transcend all of those things. And by doing this, really, where the electronic health records, because of laws and gov government, thankfully, we have access to that. Patients can pull that information. It has to be made electronic because of the, the governance mandating it. On the other side, we can get to people's phones on the RareX side to get patient-reported data. We can go to where they are versus forcing a parent or a patient who's going through a rare disease journey to get onto a plane to be part of a research study. We can bring that information to them because at the end of the day, like I, like I say oftentimes, when you're looking at a patient group that might have 10, maybe 20, maybe 200 people, just them being able to stand up, log into someplace and say, hey, I'm here and this is sort of what I look like is really, really important. Then pair that with, hey, I'm here and here connect my electronic health records. That becomes groundbreaking. And that hasn't been able to be done so far because those silos that have been created at academic institutions or hospitals has really, really um, hindered that, that effort. Uh, as a final thought, I'd like to ask each of you to offer your views on how you see patients taking control of their own data, changing the rare disease landscape, and what you see as the biggest obstacles to making that happen. Let's start with Nasha. Well, I, I mean, that's the best part, right? That we even have a chance now to take control of this. And there's platforms like RareX, like Citizen, where there is a different way to do things. Um, from a citizen angle, it all comes down to our capacity and financing. And we, you know, we would love to open the floodgates to every single rare disease patient and that we will do all this work for them. And for us, it's really this balance of making sure that we have a business to run and that there are enough pharmaceutical companies that are excited about this data. So I would say for us, you know, this year we have a few pharma clients. We're going to be publishing a bunch of data. And our hope is that Biopharma looks at this and says, wow, this is a great way to get rich longitudinal data. And the more, you know, the more companies we have excited about this model, the more groups we can bring onto this platform. And that is our, that is our, our end goal. Vanessa, I'll give you the final thought. I think the, the biggest obstacle I see in terms of changing the, kind of the rare disease landscape and the data landscape is really changing the, the mindset of the people who are collecting the data. I think that we can give platforms and we can, we, we can create these things. And at the end of the day, there's a, this is a, it's a culture change. It's a, it's a, it's a very much, it wins the, 
it's very much a culture change in the way that people need to look at it and think about the way that they, one, collect data and two, share data. Um, I had said at the beginning of the interview, talking about realizing that if you're entering into the landscape of rare, that anything you're doing, any data you're collecting from that patient, having the patient own that data ensures that that data has a life after that that research study. Um, we're doing some work in a neurodegenerative population where the patients pass away. and the fact that that data sometimes is siloed and because that patient has passed away and it can no, go, go no any further, that's uh, that's just heartbreaking. And it's a very big detriment in this space that that's, that happens. And so I think that that's really one of the biggest obstacles when we come into this space to really empower, to let people empower patients to to share their data when they let, they want it to be. And moving the the needle in terms of saying like, oh, it's my data or I need to embargo it. And I all of the things that come down to, do we really need to collect the birthday seven times? Do we really need to collect the medical history seven times? If we can get in a space that everybody has access to it, we don't have to re keep repeating those things and using the patient's time to do that. Um, and I think that that's the biggest obstacle, making, changing the 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 way that everybody looks at data and that, that piece, especially when it comes to research and clinicians. Nasha Fitter, Director of Rare Neurological Diseases for Citizen, and Vanessa Vogel-Farley, R&D Strategy Lead for RareX. Nasha, Vanessa, thanks as always. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. RareX is a collaborative platform for global data sharing and analysis to accelerate treatments for rare disease. RareX is adapting proven technologies and partnering with leading experts to create a federated data analysis platform specifically designed by rare community leaders and scaled to support the diverse and expanding needs of rare disease research, development, and care. To learn more about RareX, go to rare-x.org. This podcast is produced for RareX by the Levine Media Group. Music is courtesy of the Jonah Levine Collective.